Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I am the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Johnny Ball. And here's a bit about Johnny. He is the host of Speaking Influence, the podcast about the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business. He is a persuasive presentations coach, a professional speaker on topics like podcasting for thought leadership, ethical persuasion, and how to get your message noticed. An online coach and course creator, 12 years coaching and training with T. Harv Ecker, an entertaining and engaging guest with many stories and a wide range of life experience from flying the friendly skies to speaking on big stages. He says he's got a great radio voice and face, likes to keep things light with fun and laughter, and you will also see he can be serious surprisingly profound and is passionate about helping people so without further ado please welcome johnny ball to gems podcast where we're going to talk about ethical influence and persuasion what does that mean stay tuned to find out (laughs) welcome johnny thank you for having me here genesis it's a pleasure to connect with you my pleasure. So, Johnny, before we dive into this subject, I want you to share a fun and interesting fact about yourself. It's just our little icebreaker. <laughs> uh, I think uh, w- one thing that's kind of fun, something that springs into my mind is that uh, within the, the space of one week, I met Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft twice. Oh, that wow. was fun. And, and they were amazing. Oh, uh, this is uh, actually not that long before before uh, and, and Bancroft passed on, but um, it was a real pleasure to meet them. Like Mel Brooks, big lifetime hero, and Anne Bancroft, amazing lady as well. And I actually got to speak to them, and it was a real privilege. Did you take any pictures with them? Unfortunately not. I was working, <laughs> so I couldn't. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. And then just a curiosity question for me. Um, your sign off to your left, or it could be your right, depending how you see it. Why the, um, why the sign there? What's the meaning behind it? It is because I think all too often people are waiting for amazing and wonderful things to happen to them. And I always like to encourage people to go and make these things happen because that's, that's how it really works. It's like, yeah, it's great to visualize. It's great to get clear on your desires and what you really want, but you have to go and take action. So you have to go and make things happen. Love it. Yes, because actions are just that actions and without taking actions you won't get to the level or unlock those closed doors so thank you for sharing that and it is a great reminder for those who are watching the video component of this segment so let's dive into ethical influence and persuasion so 
what led you down this path, Johnny? But before you talk about what led you down this path, I want you to think about it in a personal and professional aspect and then just tie it up and put that pretty bow on it. (laughs) I've always had a curiosity about why people do what they do and what makes people want to take action and do various different things, what really motivates us, like psychology in general. It's always been very fascinating to me, but I never wanted to become a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't know why, it just didn't appeal to me. But I found out what coaching was years and years ago and got introduced to it and I loved it. Oh, this is somewhere where I can apply my understanding of psychology and keep learning it without having to actually formally become a psychologist or psychiatrist and use those tools to help people and move people into solution-based thinking. So that's very much what I wanted to do. I went on to learn things like neuro-linguistic programming, amongst other things with my coaching programs. And I wanted to go further than that even. And so I found some of that useful, some of it less so, but you know, there's still bits of that that I use today. And then I got into discovering how, um, how, we, how we work on a deeper level, understanding things like, it was a, a book by a guy called Mark Joyner, if you've ever heard of him, the Simpleology guy, who uh, had this book called Mind Control Marketing. And that was really fascinating for me because it was the first time that I understood there were all these invisible mechanisms at work that are operating on us, getting us to make decisions and buy things or not buy things without us even realizing that they're going on. And then going on to read things like Robert Cialdini's book on influence, psychology of persuasion, and more and more besides, it's become a real passion subject for me. And to understand that that how these things work, first of all, is really important to get, but also being able to guard yourself against them is also important because they can be used to get you to do things that you don't want to do. Absolutely, because if you think about like marketing, what are some of the ways that you've seen more? people market, but it's not really done in an ethical way. It's more done in a persuasive way. And feel free to rephrase that question. And one example I'll share is like, if you're going through the mall, you know that they'll pass out samples when you're in the food court. So that is a type of persuasion marketing, in my opinion, because it's persuading you to take that sample. But once you take that sample, you're like, oh, it's really good. You just can't have one bite. So then you find yourself veering off, going in the line, standing in it and ordering a plate of food. But were you really hungry or were you persuaded by their marketing tactics? Yeah. And big retail tends to go very much on a trying to establish feelings and associations with people kind of level of influence and persuasion. So you see most marketing on TV for major products is all about trying to be associated with a particular feeling like toothpaste might be about feeling extra clean or uh, deodorant might be about smelling better and having uh, women or men falling at your feet kind of thing. It's uh, those kinds of things. They want to be associated with particular feelings. Similarly, in in shopping malls as well, they're trying to generate feelings Uh, now with smells on top of uh, uh, just visual being being visually appealing as well and putting temptation in places where it's going to be most effective for you and most likely to have an influence on you. The ethics of that is is kind of open. I don't think it's completely unethical. It's to some degree, it makes sense. You know, if you're going to, if you want somebody to buy your food, you're going to 
put that in a food court and give if you're going to give samples that's the place to do it i think if you're walking around the rest of the mall with that and making people hungry in between the meals <laughs> maybe that's a bit a bit less a bit less ethical but but not completely out of the realms where i see it being done more unethically might be somewhere like um, a live event for example a live event where people are being pressured to buy something or they're being given social proof that has been manufactured that isn't actually real and you may sometimes see this on infomercial channels as well to some degree like before and after photos that may not even be the same person kind of thing it's unethical influence because it's it's selling you something that isn't real and so that uh, what they will do in those sorts of situations they try to create urgency that you have to buy now there's going to be a discount it's only going to be you're only going to be able to get it in the next few minutes call in right now uh, it's going to never going to be at this price again we have to create the urgency about it we have to tell you how marvelous it is so that you want it desperately and uh, we're going to apply all these other things on it to get you to take action and buy it now even if you may have never wanted a mickey mouse watch or whatever it is they're selling and you brought up a good reminder and I'm actually chuckling because sometimes those infomercials come on late at night when you're already kind of sleepy and not you're not firing on all cylinders and it's like hey if you want to get this great offer for $29.99 call in in the next five minutes and we'll send you this and we'll throw in this free product once again call in in five minutes it's only going to be here for a short time for $29.99 yeah, yeah, that, that's actually taking advantage of something called decision fatigue, because we we have a limited amount of brain capacity. If you if you think about it, and even if you look it up, how many calories it takes to actually run your brain just on an average day, let alone a day where you actually have to do a lot of mental activity, our brains use up a lot of calories. And so by the end of the day, it's harder to make decisions. It's harder to think logically. We tend to be a bit more emotional about things and that's where they can get us more easily. So yeah, when we're tired, we are more likely to be influenced by things. Hmm. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And I had no idea that it was um, complimenting fatigue, but that is that is really true uh, because I just pretty much explained it and then you just put it in your your terms. So whenever you think about ethical influence and persuasion, what are some things that business owners can do to make sure that they are influencing others, but in an ethical way and they're not coming across as, oh, they're just trying to sell me a product that or a service that they don't even believe in? Because we've seen that time and time. Yeah, if you if you were to listen to trainings by people like Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar, people are often recommended for sales trainings, and you know, they're no longer around, but they're still their trainings are still readily available. They will often talk about how important it is for your own personal integrity and for your success to believe in the products that you're selling. So definitely, if you are selling products that you don't even believe in or don't think are any good, then you are already out of your integrity. And so there's already an ethical question mark hanging over everything that you do to try and make a sales. And if you are an ethical person, you will probably likely sabotage yourself from ever being successful in doing that, whether you realize you're doing it or not. So it is essential to have that. But there are also people who very much are out there with products and services that they know are a ripoff are to con people and so they're trying to convince people that they that 
they want them to buy that. And of course, they're going to use whatever tactics they can to get them to do so. So the intention is an important part of the ethical process here. But if you have a product or a service that is actually going to help people solve a problem for them, be a real benefit to them, and you believe in that, and you want to share it with them, and you have it priced in a way that makes sense and isn't trying to rip people off, there's no real ethical issues with that. So when we talk about being ethical, it really is about being in your integrity and not just trying to be just only focused on money, but actually focused on making a benefit, making a difference, doing something positive, whether that is solving a domestic issue with a cleaning product or whether that is solving a professional issue with an automation or a service that is going to help people make more money or do their accounts. Absolutely. So really taking the ethical influence and asking yourself, is it making an imprint? And out of that imprint, is it driving an impact to really be the solution to people's problems? And will I use my own products and services? And if you can't answer that question, then maybe you need to go back and and recreate to see, okay, is there some incompetencies that I fail to recognize? Is there something going on inside of me that is causing it to not necessarily be ethical, but unethical due to the nature of what I'm putting out and et cetera? And do you ever work with people to go through a checklist just to make sure that they are checking off to make sure that they are really being ethical versus unethical because sometimes we as individuals may miss the bar on something because it's hard to ask ourselves some of those questions do you agree or disagree john i i I agree i think it's good to i don't really go through a checklist with people but if i see something that may be a bit out of alignment for them i'm certainly going to aim to highlight that for them and and help them to see that but i do encourage people it's important to get how you feel about it and also to make sure that is going out to the right target market and that you're approaching that in the right way in a way that isn't going to be upsetting to people or you know in the wrong kind of language and those, those sorts of things are important as well in the ethics of how you do things not just what you do and so yeah there, there are things that you need to be aware of but I think most people are operating within a pretty ethical framework. Most people are out there to to do good and to put better stuff out into the world. I just think we're in a situation, particularly as someone who works in the personal development industry and professional development, I've seen over the last 15 years that I've been around that, maybe a bit more now, but um, a lot of unethical people. And so people who have gone just to, just to make the sales, they just care about the money people who have even taken other people's products and services and just copied them and sell exactly the same thing. Those things are very clearly not ethical. And and you don't need somebody else to tell you that that's not ethical. You already know that. So people generally are pretty good when it comes to the ethics. But sometimes there are things that it's helpful to get highlighted or get other eyes on it just so you can see that. But checking in with yourself is is the best start. And and then checking in with a few other people who might might have some good insights is going to help you out with that but the main thing one of the reasons why i focus on this particularly is because a lot of the people who have been perhaps the unethical practitioners out there the unethical salespeople that have given that sort of bad name to sales and marketing and various bits of industries those are people who are they're finding it harder they're finding it harder and harder now because more people are wising up to what they've been doing 
and we have more people who are actually out there intentionally exposing those kinds of lies and ethical issues to, to try and protect people from the bad operators, the bad faith operators who are out there. So that's what people are often dealing with. But when it comes to marketing share, those people still have a much bigger share of the market in general than a lot of the people who are very ethical and have wonderful messages, often life-changing messages and services that just aren't being heard about. So it's important for those people to understand the, the mechanisms of influence and persuasion to be able to implement them in ethical ways to actually get their voices heard and get their products and services out there making a difference and helping people. Very profound. So it sounds like in order to just really be um, known in this area and make sure that you are walking it like you talk it per se, you really have to understand psychology, psychology of your product, psychology of your services, and your overall psychology just to make sure that you are really representing yourself in a good light. And it's okay, like if you mess up, just take ownership of your truths, in my opinion, Johnny, and say, hey, I messed up. This was not the message that I was trying to convey. Here was something that I was trying to convey versus knowing that you messed up and just keep on going, going along with it because your pride and ego have got the best of you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, it's, a, it's an old book, but um, it's like over 70 years old. But the principles in it are really, really sound. And one of them is to admit you're wrong as quickly as possible. And you know, the, the book has great principles for how to show up and how to influence people. And uh, whilst they can be used, they could be used cynically and in ways to manipulate people. I think the vast majority of people who ever read that and put it into action are doing so with good intentions. But in that book is kind of everything that you need to be able to understand the mechanisms of influence and persuasion in interpersonal relationships. And now let's switch gears a little bit here, Johnny, and talk about persuasion. So whenever you think about persuasion, what comes to your mind and what are some tools, tips, or uh, resources that people could look into to be a better persuader? Yeah. So when, when, for me, when it comes to persuasion, I think specifically about public speaking um, because it is still one of the most persuasive forms in life and has been for centuries I mean, for as long as there have been uh, speakers in, from the time of Aristotle and his uh, analysis of uh, the people in the Senate, the great speakers and orators of those, that time to, to the modern day, the people who tend to have the biggest power and influence are the best orators, the best speakers, the ones who can generate passion in an audience or take people on an emotional journey and get people on side, utilize metaphors and stories in ways that really um, bring pull people in and that those things can be you know, used for whatever purposes but you know they, they are just tools at the end of the day but that's what I think about with uh, with persuasion particularly persuasion I see more as the act of doing like influence is more about status generally so you know you're more likely to listen to somebody if they're well known if they have a name for doing what like if I had a PhD in the psychology of influence or something like that I would automatically have more influence because people say, oh, he has a doctorate in that. So um, he must know more about that. Or if I had a, a best-selling book or if I was a, a class as a world expert, automatically I have more gravitas, therefore more influence. And what I say gets listened to more closely. But persuasion is more something you actively do. 
and it is going to be based on the level of influence that you have. So some people could listen to me and say, oh, yeah, well, who's he? What do I care what he says? Well, that's fine. You don't have to listen to what I say at all. But other people will listen and say, okay, he's making some sense and he's got some good points. Let's listen to it because maybe there's something to learn. If we think about persuasion as being a tool of manipulation, most people think of that as a bad thing. Because we think about, we always think of manipulation as being getting people to do things that they don't really want them to do, but we want them to do. And um, that's not necessarily the case. Like manipulation is, has got a bad rap, but it doesn't just mean uh, get controlling people or getting people to do what you want. It is uh, ultimately what we do every day in our interactions with people, whether we're conscious of it or not. If we think we're, I'm not going to go out and persuade anyone or I'm not going to manipulate anybody, and you go out into your life and you interact with people, I'm afraid you're already doing it. <laughs> but if you're, if you're doing that, you're not doing it consciously. If you're not thinking about that, you're just not doing it consciously. You go out into the world in a bad mood, feeling angry, you are going to influence every single person who comes into contact with you. Even somebody who looks at you at the street and gets that thunder stare back is going to be influenced by your mood. You go out there happy, smiling, laughing, singing, that is going to influence everyone around you as well. And that becomes a persuasion technique. Who would we rather hang around and listen to? Somebody who's angry and, uh, and stern and shouting at us, or somebody who is smiling, happy, and warm and welcoming? I think most of us would go with the smiling, happy, warm person, right? So th those, those things are persuasive in themselves, like how we show up is persuasive. Our, uh, our emotional state is persuasive for other people, but so are the words, so is our body language. Every aspect of what we do and how we interact is persuasion. And you're either doing that consciously or you're doing it unconsciously. And my goal is to help people do it well with volition, consciously. And uh, so when I think of uh, communication, like some people can get up onto a platform, virtual or live, and speak just at the drop of a hat, no practice, no experience, and just get up and do it. And they can still be good at it, but they could be really great at it if they understood the principles and mechanisms and practices of how it all works. If they understand things like rhetoric and body language and movement and, and what actually makes a difference or has particular effects on people. And so it is that difference between being okay at something or comfortable at it or good at it to being great or masterful and at the top of your game. Wow, you said a lot there. And it is so, so true because there are various ways to look at persuasion. Um, there's persuasion via social media, there's persuasion with tone of voice, body language, even your clothing, how you, your yeah. outward appearance. There's all also persuasion in a work setting as well as other um, personal settings and etc. So when you have your coaching clients, what are some of the exercises that you go through to help them with persuasion? Uh, I, it depends what kind of persuasion they want to do. So generally, it's going to be that they're going to be doing some kind of presentation or podcast or something like that. And they want to be as persuasive as possible. So we're going to be looking for the stories that they could share, or the metaphors that they can use that are going to help them be more persuasive. If they're, um, if they're not particularly good at speaking, we need to give them a bit more gravitas in their style of speaking and make sure that they're speaking clearly with authority and confidence. So there might be some work to do there. But uh, when it comes to the actual content, we want to make sure that there's some emotion in there 
and that people are going to get a sense of that, that it's not all just at one level. And that there's a connection as well. It's important, in fact, essential now more than ever, I think, to work on that connection and relationship that you create with the people who you are talking to. So do you um, recommend that they do any research um, to kind of understand their audience before they go into a speaking engagement or presentation because it's a way of preparing themselves. Yeah, if you if you are able to do a live presentation, then it's always a good idea. And I, I've interviewed many, many professional speakers about this as well, who say the same thing. It's always a good idea to go there early and to mix with the people that you're going to be speaking to. Mainly because when you're up on stage, you know people in the audience and it's always better to be communicating to the people like they're your friend, like you know them, because that is going to help them feel more connected to you rather than if you are talking like maybe quite coldly or maybe just a lot of information, not in a way that you would do to a friend. And a lot of people do this. A lot of people do this just sort of cold heart presentation style. that's just high information and, and low emotion. And, uh, and it's certainly for people who aren't trained in it, they very often will deliver like that. And the people will switch off. People, you'll see eyes glazing over. The chances are they won't even be aware of it because they're so nervous and wrapped up in what they're doing that they're not even paying attention to the audience. So I think it can actually make you more relaxed to know people in your audience and to have made some friends out there before you start speaking. It's harder to do that in a virtual setting, but I think if you imagine, at least, if, especially if you're on camera and you can't see anybody, imagine that you're just talking to a friend and talk in that same style, because that is much more natural. It's how people want to be addressed. And it's more likely that people will listen when you do that. The only thing I would add to that is just turn it up a few notches. Like you don't have to come bouncing onto the stage like super high energy. Yeah, like, you know, that Tony Robbins does at his events. Like, unless that's your style, if you have that style naturally, great, you should do that. But if that's not your style, it's going to feel really inauthentic for starters. And you're not going to be able to keep it out very long. And people are going to think that that's inauthentic as well. Be you, but turn up the dial a little bit. Turn up the energy a little bit, but not too much. It still needs to stay authentic to you. Yes, I love that. And one thing that I would add there is what's your zest and why? Because if you know what your zest is, that's your wild card factor. And it is what sets you apart. So whenever you think about that and you present with authentic, uh, your authentic and whole self, then people are going to connect with you more. And then what I've done, because I have a corporate background, so I spent 15 years in corporate, but 12 were in oil and gas. So if we were doing virtual meetings, we would do surveys like before the meeting start, and you could put it up on Zoom or or uh, whatever platform you were using, and you ask some questions. That way you could kind of survey your audience and get to kind of know them a bit, or you'll ask for like a icebreaker. And I think that has been helpful because then everyone is kind of thinking about something even um, either funny or something that is personal to them. So then you kind of get to see them in another light just briefly before you go into your conversation. Those are, those are some great points. I think everybody who's doing any kind of 
presentation, whether a formal presentation or an informal one, should consider why they're doing it. If you are in business in any way, shape or form, and this is important to you for that, consider why you're doing it. This is the big difference. This is where ethics and integrity really come into it, because it, that's all about who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for them or for you? Now, it can be a bit of both, but primarily you want it to be for them. And as a speaker, if I'm going out onto into a crowd of people, maybe it's like the biggest crowd I've spoken to has been about 3000 people, but I've done a lot of virtual presentations where there's been maybe more. I don't think about what am I getting out of this or what's in it for me nearly as much as I'm thinking about doing this for them. I want to be good, not because I want to be good or not because I don't want to be ridiculous or, or feel shamed or embarrassed. I want to give everybody who's here a great experience. I want to give them some value, some learning, something powerful to take away that might even be life changing for them. That's my goal. And when I'm focused on that, all the stuff about me, my own insecurities or imposter syndrome or anything like that, that could otherwise come up becomes insignificant because I'm focused on what I'm doing for them. Yep, absolutely. You take it off from the with him method, what's in it for me. And then you think about what's in it for we. So replace that me for a we, and then you see the bigger picture. So Johnny, as we wind down, I want you to leave our listeners and viewers with your call to action for this segment. My, my main call to action would be come and check out my podcast. If you're interested in influence and persuasion, come and listen to Speaking Influence. You'll find there's all, uh, over 130 episodes with professional speakers, some comedians, some marketers, brand experts, all sorts of people. I've even had people from the Secret Service and people who've escaped from religious cults. You know, there's all sorts of elements of influence and persuasion at play in those conversations. And if this is a topic that's interesting to you at all, come and listen to the show. And if I'm going to say one bit of advice for anyone who's interested in this topic is would be to buy and listen to Robert Cialdini's book on influence and persuasion. Amazing. Yes, I will definitely have that in the show notes. And Johnny, how can they reach you via your website? And where do you hang out primarily on social media? Uh, my website is presentinfluence.com. So you can always uh, contact me through there and you'll find my social media links there as well. I hang out on Twitter a lot. I say, always say LinkedIn, but I actually probably spend most of my time on Twitter and you'll find Speaking Influence podcast on there at John A. Ball. So come and find me on Twitter and send me a message, say hello, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of Gems Podcast. You just heard Johnny, also known as John Ball, here on Gems Podcast. Make sure you go learn more about ethical influence and persuasion so you could definitely level up in all areas of your life personally and professionally and all it takes is asking those questions and really being authentic in your area and stop trying to be like everybody else. So until next time, make sure you subscribe and share this segment. We are on 40 plus platforms and connect with us on YouTube at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all things video content. We are also looking for brand sponsors and ambassadors for this podcast, where the mission is to educate, inspire, and motivate while connecting and bridging the gap between diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Find out more information at genesisamariskemp.net. We are ranked in the top 
3% globally per Listen Notes, www.listennotes.com. And until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. You are amazing and don't ever stop believing it. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.